And good afternoon. I want to get a little closer because everybody's in the back. <laughs> How about this? Okay. Uh, my name is Reese. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Fellowship. It's a privilege to be here this afternoon and teach from the book of Job. If you're with us, you know that we're going through a series all the way through the book of Job. <clears throat> and this chapter is, we're in chapter 28. This chapter is considered by most to be the pinnacle, the central point of all of Job. So you're here on a good Sunday to hear the message here and to get a, an idea. What is Job all about? Of all the 42 chapters and all the speeches by the three friends, and there's a guy who's going to come later, fourth guy, who's going to give a speech, and God gives his perspective later in the book. Like I said, this one rises to the top. Now, why? Why is this chapter key to all of Job? Well, let's do a little bit of research before we get into it or background. Job is a historical account about a real guy and a real thing that happened to him. The key setup in the book is at the very beginning where Satan tempts or tests God and says, hey, if you take away this guy's stuff and harm him, he'll give up on you, essentially. And God says, okay. God allows it to happen. Job suffers great loss. His children die. Financial hardship. His three friends show up and give him all kinds of speeches and counsel, and you could summarize everything that they say down to a basic phrase or, or, or a saying that because this X happened, Y happened. Because either you sinned or your children sinned, that explains this whole thing. Good. They did a bad thing, so bad things come to you. And there's this whole back and forth of many, many chapters. One thing that Job does each time he responds back to his friends is that he maintains that God is God. And that may sound simple, but that's the profound nature of the message of this book, that if God is God, there really aren't any other questions. He knows everything. He owns everything. And friends, if Job is saying to his friends, do you believe this? God can do what he wants because he's God. So the cycle of speeches by the three friends, you can see it on your outline. We've been uh, having it here on the top left, sort of a little outline. The cycle of speeches is, uh, is over by the three friends. And now we're up to Job speaking his final monologue, if you will. He says a couple things at the end, but this is his main uh, final monologue in, in, uh, in Job. It started in chapter 26, and it's in, we're in 28 now. I think it ends in 31. So 28 is the pinnacle of the book. I'd say the pinnacle of his argument to his friends. And in this chapter, Job is confirming God's perspective, that God alone knows why things happen the way they do. This chapter will help us gain the perspective that God wants us to have on our lives. And as we think about God being God, if you're like me, you have two responses when you really consider that. One, 
is that it's completely unnerving. You don't have control over your life or the things that happen to you, ultimately. And on the other hand, it's completely comforting because there is a God who has control over all things, and He's good, even though we don't get all the answers that we want sometimes. All right, so that's the setup for Job 28. You ready to get into it? It's on page 278 in the Church Bible, if you want to turn there. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask God to give us soft hearts and open up our hearts to His Word. God, thank You for this morning, or this afternoon, rather. Thank You that we can look at Job, that we can look at this chapter, uh, and help us, we pray, to have soft hearts for Your Word, uh, that we would see who You are, that we would treasure You above all things, that we would put aside all the search for meaning that is apart from You, and help us to, to, to realize who you really are, that you are the only source of wisdom and life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's read it. It's 28 verses long, Job 28. I'll be reading from the ESV. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the farthest limits. The ore in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in the valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread. But underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires. And it has the dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eyes see every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is this place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not with me. The sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought for gold and silver, cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral, of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where, then, does wisdom come? And where is this place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all the living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for lightning of the thunder, and then he saw and declared, he established it and searched out, and he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. If you look at your outline, we have three points we hope to cover during our time here. 
mining for, mis mining for meaning, the value of wisdom, and how to get the most valuable thing in the universe. It had to be an epic point because the point here is epic. All right, let's do the first one, verses 1 through 11. Job says a lot of things about where treasures are found. So if you want gold, you want silver, you want iron, you got to dig for it. It doesn't just show up at your doorstep. And in many cases, you have to search far and deep to get these rare, precious metals. Verse 3, it says the man puts an end to darkness and searches out the farthest limit. They're putting a lot of effort into getting these things. In verse 9, the second half, it says they overturn mountains by their roots. Or the NIV says that they lay mountains bare. Remember when Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains? The reason why that was so stark a contrast is because moving mountains is impossible. It's hard. And so these men are attempting to move mountains, putting all this energy into doing this to get to these riches, dedicating their lives and their strengths to doing this. Anybody see the uh, TV show Ice Road Truckers? This is what came to mind when I was reading this. A couple of people have. It was like the first reality TV show I think I ever saw. It was like eight, seven or eight years ago I came out. It's a story, if you don't know about it, it's a story detailing the lives of these truckers who uh, drive over the ice roads in northern Canada that they can only do for a short period of time because it's so cold and dark. And they, they transfer these supplies up to these you know, faraway places. And it's very dangerous. And in the show, they never really talk about why they're doing this. They just focus on what they're doing and sort of how daring it is and, you know, all the stuff that with reality TV shows. But what they're actually doing is they were supporting a diamond mine. And these guys are risking their lives, and actually some died and were hurt, risking their lives to go pull diamonds out of the ground. Why do people do this? And what does this mean here? Job goes to great lengths to explain that people do this. They go to great lengths themselves to find these precious treasures in the earth. Now, it's only in context here that we're going to understand what these, are, these 11 verses mean. Job is setting up a contrast. Did I say contrast? I meant context. He's setting up a contrast here. It's between two things in the first and second half of the chapter where man goes after earthly riches that they can see if they work hard enough and get versus the things that they can't see and in many cases cannot attain. Those are the heavenly riches. So what is going on here is that men are working really hard to find meaning. They're trying to get answers. But what Job is going to tell us is that God is the one alone who has the answers for these deep questions. Remember the context of Job. Why is this happening to Job? He didn't do anything wrong, and all these bad things are happening to him. God alone is the keeper of wisdom. So for us, if, if we don't root our lives in God's perspective, in His wisdom and power and we search for meaning in other places, it's gonna, we're going to wind up empty. And this search for meaning reveals our desperation. Remember God being God? I point at the beginning. 
I, uh, I was reading a book about radiation on vacation a couple of weeks ago. I know, kind of weird, although Warren would appreciate this. And I found a two-sentence summary that just summarized all of life, and I found it amazing, so I wanted to read it to you. We in our environment exist by virtue of green plants that capture photons, the basic units of light energy. They are produced by thermonuclear fusion within the sun. Plants use these photons via photosynthesis to separate water into hydrogen and oxygen. The hydrogen is then combined with carbon dioxide from the atmosphere to produce glucose, which the plant burns to produce energy. The oxygen is released into the atmosphere, and we and virtually all other living creatures breathe it. Energy produced by burning glucose is transferred to us when we eat plants or eat animals that feed on plants or plant products. Think about that for a minute. How much control do you have over thermonuclear fusion in the sun? That is the source, from a physics perspective, that is the source of all of our lives. Maybe we'll have a special session afterwards and Warren could bring us the physics. It has something to do with electrons and neutrinos to some, some degree, I'm sure. But we are totally dependent on this nuclear fusion that happens in the sun. If the sun turned off, life would turn off. And the same is true for meaning in life. It does not come from within us. It does not come within this world as we can see it or the gold that we can go get when we dig in the earth. It's beyond us. And we are dependent on this outside perspective, this outside intervention to give us the meaning. And when we encounter things that we cannot handle, it often reveals where we're going for this source of meaning. And sometimes it, doesn't, it just happens day to day, but a lot of times when that pressure, when that suffering comes on, it gets revealed, as in Job, Job's case. Dick and I have a friend who was six months pregnant, had already had two other children. Her husband died unexpectedly without any, you know, he wasn't sick or anything, just unexpectedly died. I think it was from a, a blood clot or something like that. He was young 30s. She was six months pregnant. Husband died. A few weeks later, her baby, unborn baby, died in the womb. In complete tragedy. She was a believer, and some friends had commented to her how they observed how the tragedy brought her closer to the Lord. And you know what her response was? She said, I have no other option. Like, what else am I going to do? What about you? Where do you mind for meaning? Where do you go? Is God your only hope? Or do you turn away from Him in order to find meaning in other places? Or another way to say it is, is God your only option? Again, Job tells us that men go to great lengths to find these precious metals and ultimately to find meaning. But they miss out on true meaning because they don't see its value. And that's where we're going to go next. Point two, the value of wisdom, verses 12 to 19. You can see the section starts with a but, which is a contrast. 
But where shall wisdom be found? Where is this place of understanding? The author is assuming that you know that wisdom is more valuable than these precious metals. And so he's asking, where is it going to be found? So you expect, at least I did when I looked at verse 13, that he's going to tell you the answer. But you know what he says? He says, man does not know its worth, and you can't find it on earth. So you can dig and dig and dig and dig and dig, but you will not find it. You won't find God's wisdom on this earth. Matthew Henry, commentator, said this. He said, The caverns of earth may be discovered, but not the councils of heaven. In this whole section, you see that in verse 14, the, depth, the deep says it's not here. The sea says it's not here. In verse 15 down to 19, you see like gold, even the best gold can't buy it. It's priceless. And you can't trade for it. What does all this mean? It means that men do not consider the value of God's wisdom. And we don't treat it as such. We don't even go after it or attempt to go after it. 